my other favorites is the satanic panic where tons and tons of parents in the 80s were afraid that their daycares were stealing their kids and performing satanic rituals on them I think you know that's when Dungeons and Dragons really was mm. getting the ire of people and and metal music, right? Like, oh god, wow. metal music! Just found a, a old video that I posted on my Instagram that was for parents, and it was basically like, how to tell if your child is worshiping Satan, and it's like, are they listening to heavy metal music? Are they rude to you? Do you see sacrificial, you know, implements, a robe, a cup, and all this stuff? And it was so just so ridiculous welcome to speculative sandbox your audio playground for creative storytellers my name is vicky lawn and each episode i and a guest will unpack a fiction trope with an eye for character development and narrative structures make sure to look for speculative sandbox on instagram tiktok and twitter where you can join the conversation Leave comments or questions, or let us know what other tropes we should cover. When the real world just doesn't cut it, let's get lost in a fictional one. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Ian Young, I am so excited to have you back on the podcast with me today. How are you doing? I'm great. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. We had to continue our conversation because last time you were with me, we talked specifically about madness from the individual perspective with mental health. Mm -hmm. But today we're going to be talking about mass hysteria. So we're taking it from the individual to the the larger scale. Um, So before we get started, you want to introduce yourself real quick and then we'll go into the icebreaker. Sure. Uh my name is Ian Young. I'm an author. Uh, I have one book out right now, The Automaton. And other than that, that's that's me. All right. Let's get started with the icebreaker questions. Sure. What is one favorite thing you've done so far this summer? I actually just got back from a trip up north. Then we go with the family. We go up to Lake Superior, uh, which nice. is like our ocean. Okay. <laughs> up here so it's you know it was 60 degrees it was cool and picturesque and it's very relaxing how hot is it right now where you usually are uh well i'm in the twin cities and it's about 80s right now oh that's so nice. it's a pretty big jump it's a pretty big jump i am currently sweating it out at 108 oh that's um, gross but it's a dry heat everyone tells me that but you know <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I've been to Texas, though, in the summer, and that was miserable. So that one's really humid and hot and worse. I couldn't yeah. even breathe. We have a lot of humidity. But the one time I went to Arizona, I remember, I don't remember how long we, we were even out in the in the weather and my brother's nose started bleeding and his lips oh, are cracking. And I'm like, yeah. oh, anytime someone says it's a dry heat, I'm like, no, it's brutal. It's yeah, I, it's a little brutal. I almost feel like I'm going to wrinkle way faster because I just can't keep moisture in my skin. It's so dry. Yeah. Okay, if you could open up your own bookstore at no cost, what would your what would be your unique selling point? What's your gimmick? Uh, I think it would be, hmm, I would try to have as many independent books or um, you know, still have some classics, but I really would love to bring out independent books and independent authors okay. into, into the, the, you know, the mainstream. That's awesome. I love that. All right. Now the next question segues into our topic, which is, have you ever witnessed mass hysteria? Well, 
that's interesting. Um, I think, <laughs> I think my I'm I'm gonna say yeah, but it's gonna be in like the the little kids who, when one sees another, they start screaming, which causes everybody else to start screaming, and the next thing you know, there's twenty kids running around like their hair's on fire. <laughs> that's a really good description because I feel like that does talk that does walk you through the process of some of these mass hysteria cases that we're probably yeah. going to walk through. Right. Um so yeah, let's talk about mass hysteria and and cover the definition. I found two definitions. I'm going to read them. Let me know what you think and we'll kind of go sure. from there. So the first definition is apparently a con- contain contagious dissociative phenomena that takes place in large groups of people or institutions under conditions of anxiety. That's the first one. Mm -hmm. And the second definition is a phenomenon that transmits collective illusions of threats, whether real or imaginary, through a population and society as a result of rumors and fear. What do you think of those definitions? Uh, They're very, very broad, for Mm -hmm. sure. You know, when I was looking this up, too, there are so many different names to, you know, there's mass hysteria, mass panic, mass mass psychogenic uh, disorders or this sort of thing. Um, it is a very broad topic because there are the, uh, physical symptoms and physical manifestations that are connected with it. And then there is, there are the, the emotional sort of the panic driven side of it. Yeah. It it does seem like I was seeing cases where, uh, illness would break out in a, in a school and I'm like, well, to me, when I think of mass hysteria, specifically using the term hysteria, I think about how hysteria is used to diagnose something that is otherwise kind of unknown, like kind of when women were diagnosed with hysteria for basically having feelings in the old days. And so for Which, me, when I think of his mass hysteria, I don't think we could tie it directly to like a flu outbreak. Um, I think it's more psychological, but what are your thoughts? Well, it's interesting that you mentioned the the women part because the word hysteria comes from hyster, which is like the Latin or Greek uh, word for uterus. Mm. So it's always been, so like hysteria, if you look up hysteria, you know, it's like kind of what we just described, this madness, this uh, emotional, over um, overly emotional type behavior or thoughts, usually anxiety-driven, stress-driven. Um, but because in the beginning, it was all thought to be predominantly women that would go through this, that's where that term hysteria comes from which, um, you know, isn't terribly accurate now. So I think think they, by they, I mean that, you know, the people that are researching all this stuff, they like to have the mass psychogenic, whatchamacallit, or the mass panic or or that sort of thing, just because hysteria is a little outdated. That's a really good note. Okay. So then what are some examples of what should, well, what should we call it? Just mass panic, mass hysteria, mass confusion. Yeah. Cause when I think when, when we as a population think of mass hysteria, we all sort of have the idea of what we're talking about and it may not be, you know, definition specific, but I think we all understand what it means. If you're cool saying mass hysteria, I am. I was going to use that, that for that the title not... just because it's, I <laughs> yeah. you know, we got to go into the clickbaity stuff. <laughs> That's right. Uh, parenthesis, not just the women. Yes, exactly. Right. So in so we, do you want to talk about fiction examples or real life examples first? Hmm. I think real life's going to be juicier. So let's go with fiction first. I agree. Because when I was looking up fiction, I first of all, I was finding a lot of nonfiction books teaching yeah. about mass hysteria. And then I tried to go into fiction. And a lot of it was like pre-apocalyptic breakdown of society, um, the fifth wave. This book is full of spiders by uh, Jason Pargin, that kind of stuff. But to mm-hmm. me, I'm like... Um, how, how are we are we classifying this as there's a, a clear cause that then causes the reaction or is there a reaction that we then have to go in and determine the cause like well, a zombie outbreak that's obvious right a zombie outbreak is causing mass panic i think there's i mean we can look at it both ways i did the same thing i'm looking up i looked up movies because i figured that would be the uh, an interesting look at it and mm-hmm. um the the movie with Leonardo DiCaprio and Jennifer Lawrence don't look up was like oh, one of the yeah. first on a bunch of these lists. And I was thinking about it. I'm like, well, you would think that's more like a mass panic in the sense of there is a real reason why you should panic. 
and then everybody does but then the the trick there is people reacting in sort of abnormal ways right so there's a legitimate threat but people are like you know during covid people are hoarding toilet paper because people are dying left and right but god help us if we have you know a dirty butt mm-hmm. um sorry you can cut that out that's gross <laughs> uh you know what i mean like we need like oh my gosh how am i going to clean myself how am i going to like get get all the toilet paper we can so that's more like the panic but the, with the you know the the hysteria and fiction we can look at stories that are based off of real things that happen so for instance one of the biggest um events in america would be salem witch trials mm-hmm. so it's this this mass hysteria of all these women there's women again are witches because they're you know they live alone and they looked at me weird this one time so they must be a witch and then we're just going to kill that person mm-hmm. so that is sort of an example of there is a real panic in the sense of maybe your crops aren't doing well or your children are dying from a disease but then the inappropriate was responses well it's got to be witches yeah just, just that'll solve all of our problems i'm glad you brought up this case because of course it was one of the top ones that i found as well and uh what this this is what they attributed to so it says the episode in one of america's most notorious cases of mass hysteria and it has been used in political rhetoric and popular literature as a cautionary tale about the dangers of specifically isolationism religious extremism false accusation and lapses in due process which yeah, I thought was really cool that's a big one I mean, cool in a bad way, but like cool as like an educational <laughs> way. <laughs> right, right, exactly. Yeah. So when you look at fiction, you know, then you have like The Crucible, which is a play. Um, you know, I think Stephen King did a bunch of, uh, I didn't think of like The Stand would be one or maybe Tommy Knockers. I'm not quite sure. I'm not as well read with Stephen King as I'd like to be, King as I'd like to be. Um, but I think, um, yeah, there's that distinction with, because um, there's a, there's been other movies that have like the meteor threat, like Deep Impact or Armageddon, mm-hmm. right? And then there's the panic. But when you look at witch trial stuff, there isn't the clear threat as, as um, panic inducing, if that makes sense. Yeah, the threat is the authority which could lend itself to a story that has a little bit more mystery to it right. because we, because sometimes it's scary to go up against the the very authority that's doing the witchcraft if you're living in that society at the time and right i, I can see how people get swept up into the fear um because now you're worried about a number of things. You're worried about, well, number one, is witchcraft real? And do I want to be a victim of that? But number two, do I want to be accused of witchcraft? And so everyone gets kind of scared into conformity. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, that's that's true in so many cases. If you look at the Spanish Inquisition, um, anytime authority is in power that is able to sort of come up with this idea of here is why due process needs to end here is why your freedoms don't matter anymore because xyz is more important um that's gonna definitely be dangerous absolutely and i think what's fun about fiction taking real world ideas and not necessarily like recreating them, but being inspired by them in fiction is that you have a chance to unpack all of those things. And depending right. on, you know, the genre, the angle that you're taking, I I, I always like the mystery, uh, if, especially if we're talking about like mass hysteria, where like, you're not quite sure why everyone's acting the way that they are. And then you right. slowly through the unveiling of the plot kind of un- uncover maybe systemic issues or, you know, supernatural or science sci-fi issues um that's one way that you can explore this or if it's a much more blatantly obvious thing that's when i think of like zombie movies right where you know there's a zombie invasion you know why everyone is being like paranoid and panicked and hysterical exactly exactly i don't have any other fiction examples it seems like you have good ones do you have any more before i move on to real life more real life ones uh it's it's frustrating actually because i spent a lot of time just staring at my bookshelf and thinking like, oh my God, 
are there are there any books that that um nowadays and I tons of research I'm trying to like there's got to be a book that we all know that sort of has this um this tone to it now I just read a book and it's I'm going to put it in quotes um that's nonfiction uh called communion by Whitley Strieber have you ever heard of that mm-hmm Okay, so it is actually not quite a memoir, but it is a, a book that this man wrote um, because he believes there have been several times when he has been abducted by extraterrestrials. Now, to his point, he doesn't actually say extraterrestrials. He just calls them visitors, but he has these experiences and wrote this book about said experiences and the interesting thing about um, alien abduction stories is that there are a lot of people that claim they have common things that happen to them with other people. That you know, this person from this side of the country and this person from the other side of the country have never met, but when they tell their stories, um, they're very similar, and he talks about that in his book a few times where he's talked with other people and they've also said they've seen this and they've seen that. Uh, and he makes it, he tries to make it very clear that these are things that these people didn't know about to begin with. Right. So for someone like me, I, it's one of my like, um, guilty pleasures, right? I don't know if I believe that extraterrestrials exist, but, but definitely, um, them breaking into your house and stealing you is uh, a terrifying thing. And it's like my little guilty pleasure as far as reading horror or that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so if I come and say, oh, yeah, X, Y, Z happened to me, it's like, well, yeah, it makes sense. That's all you do is read about it. But when you find people that have never heard of it as a trope or whatever you want to call it, um, that's the interesting thing when they have these separate Uh, and certain events, shall we say, in common. That makes me think of my daughters right now. So my youngest, I I have to, this is a process we're working on. She really likes watching YouTube. And there's some things that are great for kids. And of course, there are things that you can easily start spiraling into. It seems like there's a lot of scary stuff for kids, like kids, teens. And I I get that. Like, I like scary things when I was younger, but, you know, um, things that they think is like, oh, this is great. This is fine. I'm fine, mom. And then nighttime rolls around (laughs) and um, suddenly I'm up with them for an hour trying to talk to them about the religious, like how your brain is like, you know, all the science, the science fiction, not the science fiction, the science behind your brain and why your brain is hyper aware and like the dark and like biological histories and blah, 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 blah. And um, I'm like thinking like, there's so many kids that experience this, right? They don't talk to each other. They don't scare each other. You know, sometimes they do. But even when my kids are just doing their own thing, like they, that, that kind of united uh, or similarity is that when you consume media that has an influence on you, you end up feeling really panicked and freaked out later. And when you're young, you exactly. might not recognize the connection until like you're older. Then you're like, oh, yeah, maybe if I stop watching horror movies, I won't be so scared at night. Right. Who knows if... if- a child would ever be scared of uh, what's under their bed had they not been told at least once that there's a monster under there, be it by a classmate or by TV mm-hmm. um, or the closet or that sort of thing. Yeah. And it's so sad because I, you know, when you were once a kid and you had that same fear and now you're trying <laughs> to teach your kid. <laughs> yeah, I've had to have those talks with both my kids and I'm like, yeah, there's this really weird uh it's almost reflective where you're like i know i was scared of this stuff as a kid but now i'm like no there's there's no way a monster could be under your bed that's just not how it works well my main argument is if that monster really wanted you wouldn't they have gotten you by now how many times (laughs) have you slept weren't you once a baby wouldn't that have been ideal we have a tiny dog running around the house that dog is defenseless against whatever monster you're scared don't you think the dog would have been gone by now (laughs) like i start going through all of these like if you were trying to stalk a child and the child suddenly turned on their phone oh no can't stalk them anymore because the light's on or uh i remember one when i was a kid was you can't have your foot hanging off the side of the bed. Oh, yeah. Because <laughs> it's the blanket itself that protects you. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. That's a, you have a much darker uh, explanation <laughs> for that than, than I would, which is, I'm like, well, no, mom and dad are here and we protect you and we we'll make sure stuff <laughs> like that doesn't happen. You're that like, that was phase they're going to get you. They're going to get you. <laughs> Yeah. What do yeah. I? What can I do about it? Is they'll get you. No, I tell him to punch it in the face. Like we have a whole conversation, <laughs> and then she's like, "But what if I hit my sister?" I'm like, "Okay, bring in the sister." I'm like, "Sister, I've told your sister, your little sister, that if she's scared of something, she could punch her in the face. So don't sneak up on her, okay?" She's like, "Okay." <laughs> Beautiful. All right, but Love this it. is a good segue into real world because we just talked a little bit about the influences of social media and and at the rate which things can kind of go around the world now and create its own panic. So one example of this, and I'll go back and talk about some more historical events, but sure. one more example one is when Tourette's syndrome apparently went quote unquote viral per the media. So what's happening is there's this teenage girl and she has Tourette's and she is educating people on what Tourette's syndrome actually looks like. And then suddenly around that time, it was like 2020, 2021, a bunch of girls started going to the doctor and getting diagnosed with Tourette's syndrome. And when they would compare their, how they were presenting versus this girl that they were following, there was a lot of similarities. And so they were talking about like psychological influences through the screen. Now I'm not a doctor and I'm not that knowledgeable on Tourette's. So I'm not sure how that works. Um, but I thought that was a really interesting way of like that compares to some of the older ones. Um, for example, I grabbed the story of a nun who lived in a German convent in the 15th century. She began to bite her companions. And soon after that behavior spread through other convents in Germany, Holland and Italy. So a lot of these things were kind of explained. Well, when you observe and you're influenced by it, you find yourself being like persuaded or or I don't, I don't know what the right word is. Um influenced i guess uh again not a medical doctor but that's one of the similarities that i saw uh that was i read that one too and i love that i love that story just biting people I don't they, know. They, they never found out why right they just assumed they uh, yeah i mean so to jump a little bit about these cases it's really hard to pinpoint what causes them and what's going on because a lot of these are isolated cases cases these are smaller populations and the period of time is not um permanent you know it's this little snapshot in time so being able to figure out what's going on with all these people it's really really hard and from what i've been able to glean the biggest um explanation is stress so there's something that's stressing um that now something like biting or uh, the other one of the the dancing plague of 1518, mm -hmm. where people just start dancing and they can't stop. Um, that's a really interesting way to exhibit your stress. But um, back to what you were saying, as far as this Tourette's goes, the thing that popped into my mind is, how do you feel when I say uh, the word lice? Um, like, like when you start talking about lice and like people's heads start itching, right? Mm, yeah. It's like the first thing you think of, or if someone's talking about chicken pox, suddenly you're itching. Or um, yawning. <laughs> right. Or yawning. You cause people um, to yawn just by talking about it. Right. So it's like, there, there are certain things that, you know, again, I'm, I'm not a psychologist, but you can kind of look at it and like, yeah, when I say lice, my head starts itching and I get all icky. Um, like that's a really interesting way of things to spread, but things like, you know, it's almost like the web MD thing, right? Everything's cancer. Mm. Cause if you start reading something and you're like, Oh yeah, wait, that fits. Wait, that fits too. Oh my God, I've got Tourette's or, Oh my gosh, I've got cancer. And it's really, you've got a, you know, splinter or something. Um, I yeah. think the brain has a really interesting way of trying to fit how we're feeling into a known frame. Well, in that time frame of the 2020s on was very stressful for so many people. And I can see how oh, absolutely. that would play a role, like, especially with the time frame when this happened, and, and especially in regards to Tourette's, like, who's to say maybe these, these girls that ended up in, in like their doctors, or maybe they were genetically predisposed to it, and they were exposed to the right conditions for it to show. So it would be unfair to say, oh, just because I saw her do it, now I'm doing it. Maybe there was right. like more of a genetic connection there. But I mean, who's to say that's the case for all of them? I, you know, again, not a doctor, but right. that actually got me thinking when, cause you know, you know, I've talked about my neck for like the last time you were on here and <laughs> I would research right. all these things with my neck and it would range from, you know, 
you pulled your muscle to you're gonna die you have cancer and then I finally figured out the truth recently actually I had to tell you um I went to a chiropractor it turns out the car accident I was in when I was 16 came back to haunt me because I thought I had bounced back you know when you're young oh sure and now that I'm in my late 30s it's like um oh no no you didn't quite bounce back from that it causes debilitating pain so now we're gonna fix you and I'm like perfect but Two months ago, I'm reading online all these things about like how I could have, you know, all these issues and it's very stressful and it can cause like continued issues like your stomach and your brain are connected. So when yeah. you're stressed out, you start having like stomach issues. It's it's all interconnected. Oh, absolutely. As a as a young child who had terrible anxiety, I still have bad anxiety, but stomach aches were the, the biggest um, thing that I dealt with just mm -hmm. on a daily basis with these terrible stomach aches. But it's all because it was related to anxiety. What other real world occurrences did you find? I found the War of the Worlds radio broadcast. Did you see that one? So, yeah. So we would obviously be amiss if we did not bring this up. This is the classic, classic story of uh, Orson Welles putting on this radio production of H.G. Wells's, uh, no relation, H.G. Wells' War of the Worlds. And... The way that they set it up was a mock uh, like news report. So they'd have their radio show and then, oh, we have a, you know, emergency report from this reporter. And he talks about how this thing came down. And um, if you've read War of the Worlds, it's basically a play by play of, of the story. And the funny thing is about this is that it is always brought up as one of the one of these big examples of mass hysteria when in fact it wasn't. So I, I went sort of down a rabbit hole with this one, uh, which I thought was funny because everything got blown so out of proportion. It almost did become mass hysteria in the sense of, so they had the story and they said in the beginning, this is a play. This is based on HG Wells war of the worlds. But it just so happened that there was this other radio program on that the majority of America was listening to. And then every now and again, this H.G. Wells one would break in and they're talking about they had uh, things like the New York Times and all these big papers the next day were talking about how there were huge riots and people were panicking and all this stuff because they thought it was aliens. And then in retrospect, when they're looking at it, it's like, OK, well, the actual percentage of people that were listening to it isn't or wasn't as big as people initially thought to like i said this is 1938 so there this is pre-world war ii so they were worried that there was actually a, a invasion or some sort of war starting already with germany um you know they didn't catch the part that it was about aliens and so people were panicking because of that but at the end of the day um, a lot of the talk of the hysteria was just blown out of proportion from what actually happened. Mm. Well, that's not unusual now in today's world of oh, the media gosh. taking something, chewing it up, and it becomes something else. I always think about, I saw raw footage one time of celebrities doing, so I don't remember, they were doing something. It looked so nonchalant, nothing. And then the headlines that eventually accompanied whatever the footage was, made such a huge deal out of whatever it is. And then of course that starts the conversation of what people are talking about. And then the news now reports on people's reactions to things, which further um, increases <laughs> right. like the, the response. Well, it's, it's, it's interesting because you're using the, the emotion sort of as the clickbait, right? Mm -hmm. Where instead of saying, Hey, this is what happened. It's like, well, how did you feel when this happened? And suddenly what actually happened wasn't nearly as important as how people felt about it, which then somehow like changes the course of the narrative. So what do you think of cancel culture in the context of mass hysteria? Uh, what do you mean? So in many cases, cancel culture is used to call out a celebrity or a person in general or a business for um, unethical or bad, you know, abusive, whatever, like uh, the, the spectrum is pretty wide. And mm -hmm. what tends to happen is the information gets out and it kind of gets larger and larger and larger and larger. And then like a whole groups of people are intentionally canceling 
what a person organization or whatever with the means of like destroying their PR, uh, ruining their business, you know, all that stuff. And sometimes the cancel culture is, is trying to push a, like a, a perspective that needs exposure, whether it's mm. like, you know, the me too movement where you want to make sure that people understand that women are being treated badly and then hoping for change. But then sometimes it's, it gets propelled quickly. And then later on with more information, you find out that not all the information was out there in the first place. The, per the, the This actual real story was the case, not what was originally, you know, perceived that sometimes the information was completely wrong to begin with, that it was someone else created a rumor, like as part of that original definition, created a rumor or created a false photo or mm. a false headline. And people it just spiraled from there. So I guess my thoughts are like, is that the modern day mass hysteria, depending on like the context and the outcome? Possibly, possibly from, from my understanding, you know, what we are going through as a society right now. And uh, I believe uh, the term woke is also associated with this as well, where it's, um, Hey, we're realizing that the way that we've been doing things or the way things have happened in history are not fair to a, a group, right? Mm -hmm. So with the me too movement, was really trying to get people to understand like, hey, look, the way men and women are treated is so much more different than you think it is, right? Mm -hmm. And when a woman says that I was assaulted, you know, your first reaction is, well, what were you wearing? Or mm -hmm. what did you say? Or something like that. And it's like, no, that's not how it works. So as a society, we've figured out this problem and then what happens is in our society i feel like when there's an issue there needs to be an immediate response there cannot be any time given right we can't say let's sit down let's talk about this let's figure out what's going on it's what are we going to do right now immediately so you have people like harvey weinstein who it comes out is just an absolute sleazeball and he gets um he's in jail right now i believe right that's a good thing but then you have other times where people are getting accused and all this stuff and it's because we need to have an immediate response and so if, if this person is hey this person um you know mistreated a woman back in 1986 he needs to be canceled right now that is what you're talking about, where there's a lot of stuff that's happened since 1986. And people change. People change for the better. Um, and so that would be the negative effects of cancel culture. Um, it's it's sort of the, the pull the trigger before figuring out who you're shooting at. Mm -hmm. So if we can get over this idea of having an instant response to something... I think that that canceling um, can be much more meaningful and thoughtful as far as it being a type of hysteria. I don't know. I think it's still, it's still a good thing because we're trying to understand the best way to treat people and realize that certain groups have not been treated well. Um, and obviously this entire conversation could be its own podcast. Uh, but it's, it's almost like people are getting on the train, right? And if you get on the train of canceling people, suddenly you're feeling better about yourself because you're on the side of, um, you know, being a part of the cancel, if that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's so interesting. That was because... a no. <laughs> <laughs> that was a big no. It's, it's to me, cancel culture is so interesting because there's so many facets to it and so many purposes. And then of course you have people that, uh, can take it off the rails or use it for unintended purposes or things by bite back or, or many times it moves with the, the like the general, I guess, public, what do I want to say? Public, uh, perspective or like the, what do I call it? The, the court of public social opinion right so yeah. like things are constantly ebbing and flowing and 
so I, I have personal experience with this on a more local level where many times uh, I put out, I do press releases and I have to make sure that when I put information out, it is complete, it is trans uh, transparent. Mm-hmm. And I have to be mindful of how words can in- influence or misrepresent something. And one of the things that we have to make sure that I've, that I'll sometimes notice, depending on how hot of the topic it is, is the comments will start to explode and you'll f- always find people that might not fully know things about the mm-hmm. topic, but they are really, really um, forward about what they think is happening. And so we have to be really careful to make sure that we address those quickly before it spirals. And um, I'm trying to think of cases where that's gotten like really, really big. Um, well, I mean, I think we, we I spoke about it earlier, but when we look at what happened during COVID, um, talk about the amount of backlash uh, that the vaccine got. Mm-hmm. And we have people telling people to, drink bleach or use this horse pill or all this stuff. Now there was this really huge thing of, it was almost like the mistrust of the government. If the government is telling you to get vaccinated, they're like, I don't believe you, but there was definitely that spread of misinformation, which did create a panic. And I know people personally who, um, I guess in, in their case, their parents were like, don't you dare get that vaccine. If you get that vaccine, you're not welcome at home. I mean, it was that, it was that divisive. And, you know, we can sit here again, whole another podcast topic and just talk about what happened during COVID. But there was a huge panic that getting that vaccine was going to cause autism. It was going to cause birth defects. Like all these things were going to happen. Um, but it was this spread of either misinformation or information without the right context mm-hmm. going on. And that's, I mean, very recent. It's still very raw and still very recent, but it was, it's a prime example of, of really modern mass hysteria. And it's hard. I I, I always feel like that it's going to be difficult to prevent that even moving into the future because it's it is important to be fully informed on the issues and many times the headline doesn't provide all the information and many times the headline is purposely written to be the most yeah. uh, salacious uh controversial you know like it's you it's all it. about selling you know selling the papers getting the ratings and getting the clicks mm-hmm. and it's become who's ever loudest is the one that's going to be heard rather than who's the most accurate and then you combine that with social media. And oh, this was my my note with social media mass hysteria, where the current business model fuels controversy, fear, negativity, divisiveness, and disinformation to boost ad sales and revenue. Yep. So combining that with just the environment of today, where you have people that are trying to bring light, some very serious issues, what people would call cancel culture, or just what people are, are trying to influence each other on, online, the internet just creates a very interesting web for for the potential to create mass hysteria right and i think i've people have said this too where you know what social media has done is given people an equal footing of talk time with experts right so Mm -hmm. now you can have a doctor talk about a vaccine but then this guy over here has the same amount of power to put their opinions out and Mm -hmm. it it, it's caused an imbalance by being equal which is kind of a weird way to think about it yes well and that gets me thinking about this very podcast episode um and the ability to share our opinion observations but i'm 100 not an expert right and and i assume neither you um and we're talking about this from the perspective of writers that are kind of absorbing the world and you know using it for writing should anybody be interested in writing about mass hysteria exactly okay so i kind of started going into this 
Are there scientific explanations to these real occurrences? I also saw that there's stress and anxiety. You talked about anxiety. Mm -hmm. Is there anything else? I think um, religion's a big one. You talked about nuns biting. Um, mm -hmm. I think having living under the umbrella of a religion uh, helps to explain a lot of things and not getting into what's good or bad about religion. We're not talking about that. But if you think of things like an exorcism, right? If someone's acting bizarrely, you have the lens of religion looking at that. And I'll just say Christianity, because that's the one I'm most familiar with. And it's like, oh, well, that's a that's a demon in that person. And that's why they're acting that way. Uh, and that's more, we can call that a supernatural type of explanation. Um, but for, um, you know, the people that live through that sort of life and have those sorts of beliefs, things like religion are going to explain a lot of those weird things. And so, um, I don't know, have you ever seen the videos online of, um, like the, the dancing churches and, and people start speaking in tongues. I have and, seen, I've seen that in movies. I haven't seen like YouTube videos or real footage. Yeah. I mean, I see it as reels. I guess I don't go out looking for it myself, but, um, you know, these people are dancing and they're, they're speaking gibberish, uh, and that's all one acceptable because it's the Holy spirit that is through them, but that's the lens which they are seeing it rather than, I don't know, any, anything else that could be explaining it. It's like, well, the, the Lord is through me and I'm speaking gibberish and that's because that's the Holy spirit and I'm dancing because I feel X, Y, Z. Um, so when I look at things like mass hysteria, Especially, you know, when we're looking at some from, you know, the 14th, 15th century, where the power was in the church, you know, those mm -hmm. are the, those are the way at least that era was able to explain the, um, the behavior. For writers exploring mass hysteria in their work, I feel like there's kind of, they can either go with a scientific explanation or like a supernatural explanation what what are your thoughts on those two types and are there pros and cons to both? It depends on what you want to write. If you're trying to write, let's say, a science fiction, you're going to want to go with the scientific. If you're wanting to write a fantasy, you're going to want to probably do something supernatural. Mm -hmm. um, I think if you try to mix those up, that's when you're going to have the issues. You know, when you are writing science fiction, you're trying to say that there's this unexplored uh idea in space i don't know what i'm trying to say but you know supernatural ghosts boogeymen that's going to be a harder sell but if you're doing a fantasy that's going to be a lot more uh, a lot easier of a sell that makes me think of ancient greece i think where they had i forgot, I forgot oracles i believe mm -hmm. and the oracles were believed to have powers but i i if i remember correctly it's the scientific reason was because they were close to some kind of holes in the ground. Yeah, would... some some gases were escaping and they were basically just super high. Yeah. Just <laughs> tripping, just tripping like crazy. And yeah, and people are like, oh my God, this is the smartest thing I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> so now we just, you know, just smoke some weed and you could be your own personal oracle. <laughs> That's right. Exactly. Okay, what genres best suit the use of mass hysteria? Can I write a romance about mass hysteria? Is that possible? Yeah, everything's possible. Um, you know, this was a interesting question that you had posed, like, uh, what's the best way to explore mass hysteria? Um, and I thought about this a lot, and I think the the easiest way is you have to show that what's happening to people is not normal. And that's like, well, yeah, yeah, no, duh. But like the communion book that I talked about earlier, the guy takes a lot of time saying like, I've had psychological evaluations and I'm not over uh, zealous with religion and this sort of thing. Um, so this doesn't make sense. And when you think of, I'm going to keep going back to this because I think it's hilarious, is the nuns biting people. Like nuns biting people is not something you go, yeah, that makes sense. Right. You're like, that's weird. That's really weird. Or an entire town dancing or um, the 
we forgot to mention this, but one of my other favorites is the satanic panic where tons and tons of parents in the 80s were afraid that their daycares were stealing their kids and performing satanic rituals on them. And of course, how did that one start? Was it like just one person saw something or they made it up? How'd that work? Um, that's a good, that's a good question. Um, I think, you know, that's when I know like Dungeons and Dragons really was mm. getting the ire of people and, and metal music, um, right? Like, oh God, like... metal music. Um, <laughs> I had... it's so sad that I'm thinking of, um, stranger things now with, uh, the yep. one character who kind of represents the metal and everyone thought he was bad and, and that it was based off a real case, right? Where, um, I think a town went after one particular metalhead and thought he was bad. I'm, my mm-hmm. memory's not so great. That was earlier this summer, but um, anyway, <laughs> keep going. I'm sorry. Um, yeah, I think I just found a, a old video that I posted on my Instagram that was for parents, and it was oh hi cat. Um, basically, how to tell if your child is worshiping Satan, and it's like, are they listening to heavy metal music? Are they rude to you? Do you see sacrificial, you know, implements, a robe, a cup and all this stuff? And it was so just so ridiculous. But it was funny at the time. Now that we're looking back and I'm like, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. But at the time, obviously, it was enough to make this, you know, how to video for parents. So it's all about if you're going to have something super fantastical like that, like it almost has to have a backdrop of you know realism even mm-hmm. hyper realism so um if you have a, a sect of uh ancient god worshipers having uh you know this mass hysteria type thing you're kind of like you yeah, know okay that's not really that surprising but if you really want to go for it make sure it's real make sure it's it's um coming from a place that's believable and even you know i'm a science fiction fantasy writer i know you do some sci-fi and one of the rules of sci-fi is like, you've got to make it believable, mm-hmm. right? Otherwise it gets a little too fantastical. And that's when you're, so yeah, if to your point, if you want to do a, a romance, like I'd read that, that'd be crazy. That'd be really interesting, <laughs> but you got to make, make it like, it's got to make sense. That is right. It's right down my alley. I love merging weird genres. I know the traditional book industry might not like it, but it's like a fun (laughs) challenge. (laughs) 100%. So the 80s, what is it called? Satan panic? Satanic Uh, panic? Satanic panic. Okay. That was, you know, in the 80s, which to me, I keep thinking is 20 years ago. It is not. Me too. 40 some years ago. Um, Clearly based off of history and repetition, we humans have a tendency to do this. So if you had to predict what our next mass hysteria would be, what do you think it would be? Well, man. (laughs) Couldn't even give me this one to think about beforehand. Well, Uh I'm sorry. I just came up with it. (laughs) I I have one idea. Okay. Yeah, Um, you go. Let's hear it. My colleague and I were talking, and we were talking about how it's gotten so hot especially i'm like feeling okay based off of past patterns of you know climate change and you know populations moving around the earth depending on where the temperatures were i imagine we're going to invade canada next and he was like no canada (laughs) canada likes us (laughs) i'm very extreme when it comes to speculation he's like no canada likes us they're just gonna open the doors i'm like i don't know i don't know about that because you know we're just gonna like we're gonna go in and um i just think that if we're gonna have some mass hysteria might be associated with temperature weather movements that kind of stuff I mean, the sad thing is everything I can think of is sort of already happening. If we think about like, uh, you know, the government's coming for your guns or. Mm -hmm. um, Aliens right now, alien sightings. Aliens. Oh, God, that's happened since the 40s. Oh, oh, God, we've we've uh, soaked that up since uh, I saw a um, map the other day that was showing every um, like UFO sighting in the world and biggest percentage of those was in america oh uh which is so like it's yeah, technology it's, te- ther- it's, it's technology like, yeah. it's in our it's in our culture i mean how many alien movie stories do we have out there it's that's that's part of our blood is being a an american is believing in aliens <laughs> and ufos okay so then aside from things that are always ha- already happening 
any any other thoughts on future hysterias predictions yeah i think you know oh, predictions mine was just the invasion of canada which is pretty aggressive and and violent and I keep thinking of <laughs> I hope we I don't do think... that i hope not either i because um i live in minnesota so we're kind of right in the front line there you're in arizona you guys would be fine Oh, well, well, no, I'm the one that's going to want to get away the most when as the temperature keeps creeping up. I'm just thankful our AC units still work. I'm waiting for like, I don't know, some kind of what do you call it? The electronic pulse that just takes that all. And then there's no way we'd be living down in Arizona anymore. Now, it's actually now that I think about it kind of interesting because the more these things uh, rise. So let's just say like temperatures, right? The harder it is for us to live, the higher our stress gets maybe we're going to become even more susceptible mm-hmm. to ideas that create mass hysteria. Yes, I agree. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, do you have any final remarks, Ian? This has been a great conversation. No, thank you so much for having me on again. I love these talks. I love them too. And we always go kind of deep. We, we kind of get into the psyche <laughs> and we, we study society. It's a little scary, but you know, it's good. <laughs> it's, All you right. know, what? it's what you do as being a writer. Mm-hmm. It's a hundred percent. What you do is you got to look at society and kind of piece it together and tear it apart and figure out how we tick. How can people find you? Like not I literally am. don't go find your house. <laughs> go find you online. <laughs> well, I'm in Minnesota. You guys know that much. Um, yeah. So I have a website, ianyoungwrites.com, where I have a lot of information about my book that's out, The Automaton, and some short stories. Uh, you can also find me on Instagram, at ianyoungwrites, where I can post funny videos and make people laugh. But mostly it's about writing. Speculative Sandbox is a volunteer-run podcast that relies on the collaboration of fellow creators like you. Join the conversation and participate in fun polls and questionnaires on TikTok, Instagram, and Twitter. Interested in being in a future episode? Our DMs are open, or you can email speculativesandbox at gmail.com. Thank you.